We call forth what is not as though it were. We serve a God who raises the dead and calls what is not as though it were. And so that's what we do through prayer. We activate by faith and we call what is not as though it were. We call, we're summoning something from another world. The Christian, Christian's dominant per, um, uh, theme, <laughs> the dominant theme in our lives is that we operate in the spirit. Christianity is spiritual or it is nothing at all. Bible says what? God is looking for worshipers who will worship him how? In spirit and in truth. Not in word and in doctrine. Word and doctrine is important. But what's more important is spirit. And so we need to be acclimated to the spiritual world. We need to understand what we are and who we are as believers. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you what? Fishers of men. Right? I always ask this question. Why aren't we herders of sheep? Why didn't he say, follow me and I'll teach you how to plant a vineyard? Follow me and I'll teach you how to raise cattle. Those would be all be noble things, right? He could have said anything. But why did he say fishers of men? Because fishing, and that was the dominant theme in the New Testament, fishing is pulling one thing from another world into, from, from one world into another. That's a spiritual understanding. That's something that has to come by revelation. That's not something that you read in the text, but you can clearly see what Jesus is talking about if you understand the things of the Spirit. God is telling us to take from one world, pull from another world. When you go fishing, it's, that's why people get so excited. Because they get something on the line, and they're like, what do I got? What's on the line? And then they pull it out, and they're super excited. They're like, wow, this was down there? I didn't know what was down there. I wonder what else is down there. Fishing becomes an addiction. Those of you who fish, right? You become addicts. Fishing guys are crazy, man. They're, they're all into it. But the, the concept of fishing is drawing from one world into another. And that's what we are as believers. That's what faith does is it activates the unseen realm into the natural. The supernatural coming into the natural. The supernatural is there. There is an unseen world, whether we believe it or not, it's there. And so what happens is, is that faith is what activates that world on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Jesus said. Faith is the substance that emerges through hope. The proof of our faith does not come through this world, but it comes from the unseen realm. And here's the opposite. Well, what I would say to you is that faith is not present when fear is there. But when faith is there, fear must leave. But we have have the opportunity to partner with fear or with the opportunity to partner with faith. That's the choice that we have. And again, if you want to understand spiritual things, that's what I'm trying to talk to you about just at least briefly in the beginning here. The way the spirit world works is it works through agreements. It works through covenants. It works through agreements. It works through releasing and receiving. You make an agreement, that's the partnership. You, you make an agreement and that's, suddenly that's what, becomes your, that's what becomes your reality. Reality, the spirit world works like this. So, okay, we, we, we're, we're trained in the natural world to work by reality. But as believers, we're trained to work from an unseen world. We're trained to work from his world into ours. That's, that's how we're supposed to operate. When fear, it's an amazing thing when fear overwhelms you, there's no faith. Anybody know that? Anybody watch that? You've been to the grocery store when everybody, and you go in there and all the stores, all of the shelves are vacated. There's nothing there. You almost go into a state of panic. You almost feel like the breath is out of you. You're not sure what's going on. Fear is a distressing emotion. Say this with me. Fear is a paralyzing And distressing emotion that comes from uncertain hope and uncertain future. Just to summarize that for you, fear is a distressing and paralyzing emotion of something that has not happened yet. Our fear is dominantly placed in something that has not occurred. 
So when fear is present, once it's happened, you're not afraid of it anymore. You may be afraid of something else, but you're not afraid of that because it's already happened. So just to understand what's going on and so that we can make this difference, this difference between faith and fear, and we can understand what this is and why it is. Matthew 6.31, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after these things the non-believers seek. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. But seek first the kingdom of God and what is right to him, and all these things will be added to you. In like perilous times and when things are going on, we do not know what the future holds. But we know who holds the future. That's a big difference. We don't know what tomorrow brings, but we know what our God will bring. We don't know what the future holds, but Jesus holds the future. And what he's telling his disciples is like, look, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for you to freak out. Okay, There's going to be a lot of opportunities for you to absolutely panic. There's going to be a lot of opportunities. The Bible literally puts it this way. Men's hearts will faint with fear. So true. So true. There's a lot of opportunities. And the Lord is saying, listen, the day is sufficient. So when you're in a time of crisis and there's something going on, one day at a time, sweet Jesus. That's all I'm asking from you. You know, one day at a time is how we approach this. We come into this thing and we deal with it one day at a time. And we make decisions based upon what is being presented to us in the moment. Projecting the future when times are uncertain is not a wise thing to do. Particularly in a crisis. That's how we end up making really bad decisions and doing really dumb things. As Christians, the filter of our thinking is not like the filter of this world. This is really where you see who are kingdom believers or who are actually Christians, the ones who come to the forefront, and you can tell that their thinking is a little different than the thinking of the culture. Those are Christians who operate in the principle of the renewing of your mind, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're not supposed to think. We have a culture that's fear-driven. We have a culture that is driven by an uncertainty. We have a, a, a culture that just is in a state of panic. If you watch the news for any length of time, I mean, you can't even, it's, it's not even real. It seems surreal what, what's going on, what they're talking about. It's like almost like there's something or someone driving this. And there's a lot of reasons. One of the natural reasons is because they want ratings. Is there something going on? Yeah, there's something going on. Acknowledged. But we definitely shouldn't panic. The Bible says, I will lift up my eyes to the hill. From there comes my help. Not, I'll lift up my eyes to CNN. And they're going to tell me what to do. God help us all. Jesus is our help. He is an ever-present help in time of need. Is he who we look to? We are in covenant with him. He is our Adonai. He is our benefactor. He is our provider. Adonai means Lord. But the word Lord means I am your benefactor. I am the one who benefits you. I am the one who takes care of you. You're my people. You're my sons. You're my daughters. I know how to take care of you. I don't know if you heard Diana reading that Psalm 91, but when she was reading Psalm 91, that translation, because you say, I, you are my God, therefore I will help you. It was like, have you said in this crisis, Jesus, you are my God. Lord, I look to you. Lord, I'm not worried about the future because I know you hold the future. I mean, Christians are in a state of panic. This is not, this is not the way we're supposed to be. We capitulate who we are as people. We capitulate our, our role in the world. We surrender. We bow to no one. We bow to Christ alone. That's it. I'm not saying you don't need to be wise. 
I would say this, and I just want to jump off on this. If you're in an at-risk population and you're part of the at-risk category, you should do everything in your, in your power to, to protect yourself. But not just during this virus. This world is full of viruses. You're at risk not just to coronavirus. You're at risk to a myriad of things. And so you need to be wise. If you are, if you are sick in this time and you're feeling ill or you're not sure how you're feeling at this time, stay home. Isolate yourself. Practice quarantining. Renew that Netflix subscription. I don't know what you're doing, but stay, you know, but do, do, just, just practice wisdom. If you're uncertain in these times and you don't sure what to do, then again, stay home. My position and my role as a pastor is simply to represent the gospel in season and out, regardless of what's going on in the culture. I have a mandate on my life to present this gospel. That's the goal. So we want you to be smart. We want you to be wise. We want you to practice washing your hands and sanitizing. Have you heard everybody complaining about this? I've heard people going, I can't believe how much I... I I, I was asked first service. I said, what's been going on? I mean, have we not been washing our hands? You know, everyone's like, I have to wash my hands five times a day. I'm like, so you never wash your hands is what you're telling us? (laughs) We know we use a lot of toilet paper. We got that one down. But are we washing our hands? That seems to be the problem. We're using the toilet paper, but we're not really washing our hands. I don't know. Is that what's going on? I'm not sure. We want you to be safe. We want you to practice certain things. But, I, but, you, but as a Christian, you are a messenger of hope in these times. Scripture tells us to not fear the sudden disaster that overtakes the wicked. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The things that separates us in God's eyes from wicked outside of his covenant to being righteous is the fact that we have acknowledged Jesus as Lord. That's only that's it. It's not by our works and our deeds and how wonderful we are. That's not what makes us righteous to God. It's the fact that we have honored Jesus and we call him Lord. We proclaim him as Adonai. That's what translates us from darkness to light. Fear accomplishes nothing. Fear accomplishes nothing. Has anything ever been produced in your life out of fear? You don't even leave the house out of fear. You don't even do anything. You don't even make a decision out of fear. Fear distresses, stresses us out. We can't sleep. All of the stuff that goes on with us, fear doesn't do anything for us except paralyze us. So I did this talk a little bit last week on, on culture. And somebody, two people asked me, can you tell me what you mean by culture? So let me give you what I mean by culture. So just so you know, there's different variations of this. We have a national culture here in America. Japan has a culture. South America has a different, different regions of the world have a culture. So, but I'm only just going to identify three just because these are the three that relate directly to us as Christians. There's what the Bible would call the world's culture. So what is culture? Culture is a system of thinking. A system of thought. A belief that forms behavior, attitudes, customs, and traditions. That's what culture is. Essentially, if you want to summarize, it's a system of thinking. The world has a system of thinking. So the world meaning the way everybody functions. In our country, there's a system of thinking. The world has a way of thinking, and that that way is often found in human thought, human achievement, self-preservation, and it has a self-seeking center. That's the world's culture. And we have another thing that applies to Christianity. We have something called church culture. That's something that's found in denominationalism, found in traditions, found in style, the way that we do it. You know, that, that's, that's, that's church culture. World culture and church culture is not necessarily kingdom culture. There's a third culture that needs to be applied here, and it's the culture of the kingdom. On earth as it is in heaven, we are to 
understand the culture of heaven, and we are to make it known upon the earth. That's the mandate. When you pray, our Father, you know, that Jesus told us, pray this way. What are we praying? That the culture of heaven would be known upon the earth. Is there a virus in heaven? Is there? No. Is there a, is there a poverty in heaven? Is there a need in heaven? Is there sickness? Is there disease? And people go, oh, that's going to happen in a sweet, sweet by and by. No, it, it can be activated in a rotten here now. God has released his spirit unto his church. He's endowed us with the power of heaven. We have the government of heaven in the form of the Holy Spirit. We've been given delegated authority. We've been given that title of sons and daughters. You're a son and daughter. Well, we're all God's children. No, we're not. No, we're not. To those that receive Christ are given the right to be called sons and daughters. Only to those who believe on his name. So the church, we are the sons and daughters of the highest. The world is not sons and daughters of the highest. They're God's creation, but they're not God's children. Big difference. The bread is for the children. The rights are for the children. The delegated authority is to the children. That needs to be understood as well. We are part of a kingdom culture. And you can summarize that by on earth as it is in heaven. Our job is to access the heavenlies in right thinking and discern the spirit as to what's going on in our world. We're not to look to human government. We're to look to heaven's government. This rubs people, you know, we're spirit-filled, so all the spirit-filled people are like, yeah, because we actually believe in revelation. We believe that revelation is an active principle in the church today. What's revelation? Revelation is not wisdom. There's a higher level of wisdom, and it's called revelation. We have wisdom. We have man's wisdom. We have human wisdom. We have cultural wisdom, societal wisdom, and we have heaven's wisdom. Heaven's wisdom is above all of human wisdom, but there's a level that's even above heaven's wisdom, and it's called revelation. Who, are, who do men say that I am? And, Jesus, and Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because wisdom has revealed this to you. Is that what he said? The Father in heaven is revealed. The word revealed is the word revelation. It is a divine insight into something you don't understand. And I just release right now that God is going to give divine insight to scientists to understand how to decode this virus. And it isn't going to be hidden. It's going to be released. It isn't something that's going to be shelved because it, it doesn't benefit anybody economically. This isn't something that's going to be shelved because it doesn't politi- fit a political agenda. We release revelation into this virus right now in Jesus' name. Revelation is what's required, Christian. Revelation. That's what you need. You need a revealed something from heaven to show you what's going on. James 1, 2. I love the Bible. <laughs> but if I have a handful of verses that I really don't like, it's this, this would be at the top. James chapter 1. I don't have anybody that goes, yeah, this is my favorite verse. What's your life verse? Count it all joy when you file into trials. Is that anybody's life verse? I don't think so. My brothers and sisters, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing, everybody say testing, of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. He gives it liberally. Wisdom is accessed. Revelation is a higher higher place. There's a lot of Christians, they all believe in wisdom. They don't believe in revelation. I'm telling you, Jesus has revelation. His revelation for you in your moment, in your hour, in this time. And it will be given to them. What trials do is trials reveal if your faith is real. That's what it does. 
A trial, one of the things a trial does is it reveals the weakness. It reveals who you're looking to. Everybody's clamoring and clapping and telling the government and, and telling society and all of these different things. We're looking to them. Heaven is our, heaven is our right. <laughs> Listen, if there's, if there's provision in this stimulus for you, you should take it. I encourage it. But I'm not looking to Washington to bail me out. But if they're going to hand it out, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to join the line. Right? <laughs> but that's not where I'm looking. I'm looking to the Lord. That's, that's really where my eyes are. And if the provision comes this way, wherever the provision comes, but that's where it is. But a lot of people are just like, they're demanding our government. Our government needs to do something, yet they will not bend the knee in prayer. The land is not healed by a government. The land is healed when God's people pray. Stop clamoring for the government to do something and bend your knee and pray. Begin to call upon the Lord. If you say, I don't know how to pray, then just ask him, Lord, pray through me. Give me a prayer. Start writing the prayer. Say, Lord, give me revelation into a prayer that I need to pray. If you pray in tongues, pray in tongues. We're tongue-talking Christians here who believe in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says when you pray in tongues, you pray the perfect will of God. You want to make a perfect prayer? Pray in tongues. You say, I don't know what I'm praying. Jesus does. He knows exactly what you're praying. And you're praying according to his perfect will. The church needs to light the fires again. We need to light the fire again. The kiln that forges disciples must be relit. The kiln that forges the fire of the Holy Spirit must be relit. We cannot play church. We cannot offer the world a simple version that's better than the one they already have. We must offer them the kingdom. We must offer them demonstration. We must offer them power. It's not cunningness of words that woos. I love skinny jeans and I love smoke machines. But at the end of the day, you better have something more than that. You better have something more than that. I love preaching as much as the next guy. But the Bible tells us that demonstration and power is what is necessary. Paul said, I did not come to you with the cunningness of words. I didn't come to you with the eloquence of speech. I showed you this gospel by demonstration and power. You want to shut the world up? You want to show that Jesus is real? Demonstrate power. Our problem is, is we create doctrines to justify our cowardice. We create doctrines to justify our powerlessness. God has not retracted his spirit. The church has moved into cowardice. The church has moved into ignorance. Because we don't know doesn't mean the power is not there. It is the glory of God to conceal the matter. It is the glory of kings, sons of kings and queens to search it out. God has concealed things from us because he wants us to pursue it. Honor creates access. If we do not pursue it, we will not access it. Pure and simple. The prophetic is closed to a lot of people because they don't honor it. The Holy Spirit is closed to a lot of people because they don't honor Him. The gifts of the Spirit are closed to many people. They're there, but they can't open them because they won't honor it. If you will honor the Spirit of God, you will honor the gifts of the Spirit, you can access. But if you will not honor, you cannot access. It's really that simple. But do not say and do not create false doctrines and do not partner with powerlessness. The spirit of the age is not anti-Jesus. The spirit of the age is anti-Christ. Christ is the anointing. So the spirit of the age, even within the church, is not against Jesus. The spirit of the age is against the anointing. The manifestation of power. You say, we don't know what we're doing. Of course we don't know what we're doing. We get to figure it out. We get to partner with him and walk it forward. People are healed here, are they not? <laughs> because we pray for healing. 
Prophetic word is active here, is it not? Because we honor the prophetic. We see, we see miracles. Because miracle, we believe in miracles. If you don't honor it, it doesn't show up by default. Here I am. The Lord's been dealing with me lately. Because <laughs> I'm believing God for a miracle culture. Not just the healing culture. Not just the prophetic culture. I'm believing Jesus for a miracle culture. You know what he told me? <laughs> he told me, miracles require work, Kevin. And I heard the verse, the working of miracles. You have to work at a miracle. Sometimes you may have to stay there and you have to pray for that person for a little longer. It's not one, two, three, how do you do? You may have to work that miracle. You may have to discern that miracle. We, have, we need a miracle in our land right now. We need a miracle in the world right now. How do we get that miracle? We have to work that miracle. We have to discern in the spirit as people, as sons and daughters who are seated in heavenly places, far above all principality, all might, all dominion, every name that is named in this world and in the one to come. That's where we're seated. And we have to go to our rightful place in the heavenlies and discern what's going on, partner with the Holy Spirit, pray and act appropriately. That's our role as believers. We're under the government of heaven, Christian. And until we get that, we're just playing around. Doesn't mean you're not saved. Doesn't mean Jesus doesn't love you. But until we get that, nothing's happening. Power will not be activated. We're the moose lodge, right? We're like a football stadium. We all cheer when our team wins. We're a little bit more than that. We're an enigma upon the earth. We're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. We're a city on a hill. And it's not just the message of salvation. It's the gospel of the kingdom. The inbreaking power of the king's domain within our earth. Not in, the, not in the sweet by and by, but in the rotten here and now. This is what we are. This crisis should make us wake up to that fact. It should make us confront our powerlessness. We, this, this crisis reveals weakness. Not just weakness in the believer's faith, but weakness within the church. That we have no power to move this rock. We have the authority to move the rock, but we cannot manifest the power to move the rock. Why is that? Why is that? Well, I guess it's God's will that the virus be here on earth as it is in heaven. Is there a virus in heaven? No. Then it's not God's will for it to be on the earth. Why doesn't he do something about it? He's formed a body, empowered them with the spirit, and told them to go. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world. Not the gospel of salvation. Salvation is a part of the kingdom, but it is not the whole kingdom. Gospel of the king's dominion in the earth. World leaders should be calling for, for not just churches to pray. Let's all just have this ecumenical pray. They should be looking to the spirit-filled believers and go, would you intercede on this matter? Because we know when you pray and you intercede, it changes. Just a thought. Trials reveal weaknesses. They reveal weaknesses within the life of the believer. It reveals if you're looking at this, you need to confront the weakness and you need to begin to ask yourself, what lie do I believe that makes my eyes turn from Jesus? What lie do I believe? I'm believing a lie and I am vulnerable and I've been seduced by another spirit that is causing me to look to someone or something besides Jesus. What lie is that? You have to confront that and ask the Lord, what's going on here? Why am I reacting this way? Where's the root? When fear is present, that's an absence of love. Oh, I know I'm loved. No, you don't because you wouldn't be acting in fear. Perfect love casts out fear. If you knew who you were and you knew who your father was and you knew what was yours and you truly understood that, not just from your head, the reason is that there's an accepted lie within your heart. It's that easy. 
You have to get that out. You have to confront that. But we want to run around quoting verses. I'm all in on quoting verses. I'm a biblicist. I center on the scripture. I love the Bible. I adore it. <laughs> I'm an expositing teacher. I could teach. I'm, my, my, I'm a preacher or a proclaimer and I'm a teacher. But my main gift is expositional teaching. I can, exp- I can expound the scripture line upon line very, very well. And I'm gifted at it. It just doesn't always translate to Sunday morning. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if I'm going by line by line through the chapter of John, it, it just takes a certain audience to be able to listen to that. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But, that, but my teaching gift lends itself more to that than it does to this. But I can do this just as equal. But I'm all in on the scripture. I love the Bible. We're biblically centered here. We love it. But if quoting scripture got it done, then everything would be done. If quoting scripture got it done, if it was done merely by the quoting of verses, then everything would be changed. I'm not saying quoting verses don't have an effect. I'm not saying that at all. But there's got to be something a little bit more than that. We, we have to look at this and say something's missing here. We have to evaluate where the weaknesses are and where the gaps in this whole program are. And what we have to do, we have to be willing to even confront our doctrines and our teachings and say, I don't think this teaching is correct because something's missing. We need to go back and re-examine things in light of a different mindset. I'm not talking about Jesus and being born again. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about our approach, our traditional attitude. I know nothing. I know only what the Spirit of God speaks. I know nothing. Why do you act like that? Because that's what he's told me. You know nothing, Kevin. What you think you know, you know nothing. You know nothing. <laughs> it's crazy. There's a story every day. Anybody New York Giants fan here? Anybody football fans? Right? Yeah? And so, you know Phil Sims. You know who Phil Sims is? Phil Sims was in his first game. Bill Parcells was a coach, real salty coach. And Phil Sims throws a, throws a touchdown. And so he's on the bench, and he's, he's celebrating. And he said, um, Bill Parcells walked up, got right in his face, and said, You know nothing. And then walked away. Right. You don't know anything. You've been in the league for six months. You think you know this game? You don't know anything. Jesus is the eternal God. What, what right do we have to pretend that we know anything? We don't know anything. He knows everything. So why don't we look to him? Why don't we look to the Holy Spirit? Why don't we begin to develop that relationship a little bit further than the way we have? He's available. We have to remember that we're sons and daughters of the highest. We're heirs of this world and the one to come. That is an absolute fact. If you do not activate your identity, if you do not take your rightful place, that void will be filled for you. You can sit over there and go, oh, I'm this, I'm that, all this other stuff. Who told you that? Your Bible doesn't tell you that. Your Bible tells you you're sons and daughters of the highest, seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, far above everything, in this world and the one to come. Heirs of this world and the one to come. That's what it tells you. Is that a poem or is it a promise? We don't know what we're doing. Does anybody know what it actually means to be seated in heavenly places? We have a concept of it, but do we really know? Like, if I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, I'm seated with him in an equal authoritative position. It doesn't mean I'm God. But it means he's seated me in a position of authority with him. What does that mean? Let's take what we know and let's push beyond what we know and say, this is what we think we know. What if we assumed we knew nothing? And what if we began to look to the Lord and look to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, what does this mean? And how do we activate it? Come on. 
You have to remember who you are and you have to remember who he is. Do you know who he is? Christians that go suck their thumb in the corner every time something bad happens, they don't know that they're loved. Perfect love casts out fear. I get it. But what you need to know is when you're in panic and you're in fear, there's an issue with yourself that's showing you that you don't know you're loved. He's got the whole world in his hands. And you don't understand who he is. You don't know what he's done for you. You win no matter what. We win. We Christians cannot lose. The only way we lose, you hear me teach you this, is if we quit. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you faint not. Unstoppable force, the, the Christian is, provided we activate and apply the things that he's called us to. The only way we lose is if we quit. And it's too soon to quit. We should say it. It's always too soon to quit. That's why the devil serves it up to you on a silver platter, because he knows he can neutral the church if he can get them to quit. If he can get them to stop speaking, if he can get them to stop meeting, if he can get them to do this and he can get them to that, invoke fear on a culture, put so much pressure on them from a society, put so much pressure on them as a culture, and watch them capitulate. You will bow to the virus just like everybody else. You will bow. And we bow. I refuse. I'm not telling you all to come. I'll be here, me and a camera. That's it. I'm good. But I will not bow. I bow to one throne, and it's Jesus's. I don't bow to a culture. I don't bow to a government. I don't bow to anybody. I bow to Christ alone. I'm under his lordship, and that's it. That's my position. That's the position I hold. Be wise. Remember who he is. He will protect you, and he will provide for his people. The plagues hit Goshen, or the plagues hit Egypt, right? Ten plagues in in Egypt. Wiping out the whole nation. The known world. As it was, Egypt was the center of the known world. The known world was being wiped out, but there was a little place in Egypt called Goshen. And that's where all of God's people lived. They lived in the land of Goshen. Nothing happened in the land of Goshen. Not one cow died. Not one crop failed. Not one firstborn died. Not one hailstone fell in the land of Goshen. And you don't think that God is able to preserve his people in a time of crisis? Whose report are you believing? Who told you? God, would you were going to drown in this situation. My Bible says I will pass through the fires and I will not be burned. My Bible says I will walk through the waters and they will not overtake me. Who told you you're going to be burned up in this? Who told you this virus was going to consume you and drown you? Who told you that? Whose voice are you listening to besides mine? That's what he asked Adam. Who told you you were naked, Adam? So you can see how deeply rooted this is. Man's propensity to believe lies. The Lord said, did I tell you you were naked? Did I tell you to hide? Who told you that? Whose voice do you listen to that is not mine? So the whole concept and the connection of our relationship with God is the following of his voice. When Egypt, when Israel came out of Egypt, they were, if you read it, they were to follow his voice. They were to be led by his voice. Jesus says, what? Is it any different in the New Testament? It's not. His voice, yes, his voice comes through his word. But his voice comes through his spirit as well. His voice comes through his culture. The culture of heaven speaks a voice. The voice of his spirit speaks a voice. And the voice of his word speaks a voice. And they speak the same voice. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. So at the end of the day, whose voice are we going to listen to? I mean, this is again, the trying of our faith is right now. Well, you know. I mean, if you, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is weak, the Bible says. 
If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is. When you think this is bad, what are you going to do when the nations come together and they pass a one and there's a one world government and you have an antichrist? You think you're going to capitulate now? What are you going to do when there's even more pressure on you? This is nothing. The pressure that will be exuded on the church in the last days is nothing compared to this. That pressure is this current pressure is nothing compared to the pressure that will be placed upon the church. There will be tremendous pressure. The Bible says strong delusion, pressure on every side to bow to what is. I don't know if you wear this, this the, the, the coronavirus stimulus package. Remember that? 2.2, I'm going to get to that in a second. It was held up because. I don't want to get into which party, but governmental politicians were inserting things into that law, into that bill, because it's going to be a law that have nothing to do with the virus. Did you know one of the things they were going to do is they were going to try to put in, they were going to create a digital currency for the United States, a digital currency. They were going to issue every taxpayer a digital wallet. And now all transactions electronic, we're going to go through the digital wallet. I'm sorry. That sounds a little familiar to me. Like, what is that? That sounds like we're creating a system that can easily link to another system. What does that have to do with the coronavirus? That has nothing to do with the coronavirus. So if you don't think there's an agenda here, you don't know what you're, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm not saying the virus isn't real. So don't misquote. I mean, I've been fighting people all week on this. I'm like, good God almighty. Jesus. <laughs> we need to pray for the church, man. You know? You need to cast out some devils from these believers, man. I mean, like, what in the world is going on here? This is something that's going on. There's an agenda behind it. Whether you believe it or not, it's there. You can stick your head in the sand and be an ostrich, but sorry, it's still there. They wanted to do federal control over all elections. I don't know if you're aware of this. If you're an American, you should understand this. Our elections are controlled at the local level. City, county, state. So the state of Florida is by city, by county, by state, by, well, by district, by city, by county, by state. So all of our elections are localized. The reason that they're diversified is to eliminate fraud. That's why we have an incredibly diversified election system. The federal government wanted to pass in this coronavirus law. They wanted to have the authority to oversee, oversee all elections at the local level. They wanted federal control of all elections. They wanted to put in there the one, there was an H571 or some kind of bill in there restricting and taking away gun rights, right? Liberties are taken from us in times of crisis, and when they're taken, they're never given back. When the church surrenders its liberties, and when citizens surrender their liberties, you need to know your government's not giving them back. People go, this is about lives. Is it? Tell that to your congressmen. Tell that to your senators that are passing laws that have nothing to do with a virus. Is it? Is it about lives or is it about a political agenda? Just wondering. They also wanted to put in there that you could, you could register to vote same day and you didn't need an ID. Oh, that'll go well. Right? That'll go well. It's wrong if Russians interfere with our elections, but people who are here illegally can vote all day long. I have nothing against illegal immigrants. So don't quote me. I don't have nothing against it. But our, we have a specific set of laws. You have to be a citizen to vote in this country. You don't just show up, sign up the day of and go, hey, I'd like to vote. These are stuff that they were trying to put in that law. And if you don't think, and it didn't pass this time, that's why it held up. They're like, we're not doing this, we're not doing this, we're not doing this. That's why they wouldn't bring it to a vote in the Senate. Because until this language is out of there, we're not voting on it. And so they had the, they, the party of whatever, I'm not going to say. But they, they got involved and they ended up taking all that out. But that's only this time. What happens next time? 
We have a Patriot Act in our country. Americans are surveyed at will. You don't think that's true? Wrong. Oh, well, they got to get a FISA warrant. Yeah, sure they do. Yeah, they, they, they're tracking you on your phone, your, your email, your Facebook. All of that data is available to the federal government anytime they want it. Anytime they want it. What are they going to do with it? It's not what they do, it's what they can do. I'd give them, that's a, that's a right guaranteed in our Constitution, is the right of privacy. But we surrendered that in 9-11. I don't know if you're aware of that. And the government hasn't given it back. They still have it. And so now they want more rights because there's another crisis. The crisis is real. But so is the infiltration that's going on that's trying to strip your country of, the, of rights that we possess. A country that is unlike any other. We have freedom of expression in worship. Congress shall make no law infringing upon, uh, separate, uh, uh, favoring one religion above the other, but shall not in any way interfere with the right to assemble. They can shut you down in Japan. They can shut you down in France. But our Constitution guarantees the right of churches to assemble. Guarantees it. And it says the law will not impede upon that for any reason. Any reason. I'm telling you, this is where you live. And when we are capitulating and the church capitulates, that's a problem. That's a problem. That government, you don't think the government wants the right to oversee churches and shut them down at will? You don't think they would love that if we give it to them? If you gave them that and you gave them authority, you don't think they'd take it? Just saying. A lot of forces in play here. And they are, they're not natural. There's a spirit of the age that is trying to work an agenda towards a common end. It will happen eventually. Hopefully not in our lifetime. Provided we pray. But the weakness we demonstrate as a church is a bit concerning. Oh, well, we need to this and that and the other thing. Uh, no, I mean, staying on track. Remember who he is. Jesus, say this with me. Jesus didn't cause the crisis, but he will use it. That's right. How do you know? We know that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God will use it in the lives of his people, and he will use it in the lives of his church, and he will use it in the world if we will let him. You have to have perspective. First thing you have to do is you have to have perspective. We quote this verse in Proverbs 13. Wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. How do you think that happens? It happens through crisis. Wealth is being transferred right now. In the coming year, wealth will be transferred like probably no other time in history. $2.2 trillion from the federal government alone is being transferred right now. There will be businesses that will fail and other business opportunities that will present. Some of you have been trying to get a retail space. You're going to have the deal of the century in the coming year. The stock market dives. It's coming back. There's going to be job opportunities. <laughs> There will be a demand placed on our workforce like never before. I believe that because it's the transference of wealth. It doesn't happen. Jesus, Jesus is like, the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. Hey, I just wanted to bring you a check from Bill Gates. You know, Reader's Digest, here's the balloons, confetti, big check at the door. That's how we think it happens. It doesn't happen that way. It happens through transfer. There's a nexus point that's created. It funnels down and then it fans back out. And you need to believe God for revelation and wisdom to be standing at that nexus point. How do we access and how do I stand in a position when this wealth is transferred? There's tremendous opportunities. 
The healthcare system as we know it is going to be transformed. New policies, new procedures, new products, all things are happening. The way thing, if you have a cleaning company, the way that you, that you, you can position yourself to be the most, to, to go after institutions that will now be funding cleaning like never before. They're going to want to outsource it because they're not going to want the liability. They're going to want the outsource. So they're going, they're going to be opportunities galore. Galore. Interest rates will fall again. Credit will become readily available for a time. For a time. If you're a business owner, you should dial in what I'm saying to you. There's an opportunity to invent products that there will be a demand for. <laughs> there will be a demand. Transference. Those jobs in China, they're coming to the States. I hate to tell you that. I don't know if they're coming in another administration, but right now, the way China's treated us on this, all of our pharmaceuticals, all of our medical supplies, almost all of them are made in China. And right now, China grabs us by the throat and goes, we're not giving them to you. That's one of the biggest delays in this problem right now. And they, they won't say it because China owns a lot of our debt, but China grabs us by the throat and goes, we're not giving you masks. Oh, you make your respirators here too? Well, we're not giving you that. In fact, we don't think we're even going to give you aspirin. We're a continental nation. We can't make our own aspirin. Are you kidding me? We're a continental nation. We can't make face masks. No, really. Are we in crazy town? We have to deploy all this stuff off seas to a foreign power that now can grab us by the throat at will. That job, that stuff's coming here. There will be opportunities, opportunities, real estate opportunities, business opportunities, employment opportunities. This will be a transfer point. And you need to believe God. Where do, where do you want me in this moment, Lord? I don't know what you've been believing God for, but, that, but, it, but you're gonna, it will be a moment and it will be past. And you will look back and go, wow, I could have done that then. 9-11 was a transfer moment too. I don't know if you all remember that. You're like, man, I should have bought that stock during 9-11, right? Anybody remember that? I don't know if you all, I don't, I don't play the markets, but I know people that do. And they're like, man, I could have bought that for 30 bucks. And it's $300 now. After 9-11, it was down to 30. But I was too afraid. I didn't know where it was going. Well, there's your problem. Fear. Fear. Revelation, Christian. Perspective. Not greed and jumping off, the, jumping off into greed land. And, but getting a wisdom from God and saying, what would you have for me in this hour? Well, how would you have me positioned? He may say to you, that job you've been wanting is coming your way. Get your resume together. Dial it up. Add to your resume, survive the apocalypse. You can put that on your resume too. So, <laughs> It's coming. This is going to end. How do we know it's going to end, Kevin? Because we have had 30 crises, national and international, in 20 years. 30. This hasn't happened before? Of course it has. Not like this because it exposes weaknesses. Weaknesses within the church? We're trying to address our weaknesses. They're exposed. Not just here, multiple churches. We're exposed. We need to be better positioned, truthfully. Our church needs to be better positioned. We need to be better positioned digitally. We need to be better positioned economically. We need to be better positioned to take... To, we, need, we, need, we need a non-profit center, separate from the church, that can serve our community, because every time something like this happens, federal money is released in the bucket loads. In the bucket loads. If you have a food bank right now, you're going to get a stack is it about, it's not about money, Kevin. It's not about money. I got it. It's not about money. But uh, yes, it is. Okay? Tell your landlord it's not about money. Tell your bank it's not about money. 
The kingdom suffers because we do not have the wealth to do it. Google can do anything they want. When they want to play around, they want to do an autonomous car. Yeah, we'll throw a billion dollars into that and see if we can build an autonomous car. We want to experiment with that. We want it because they have the money to try things with an effort to change the world. The church has no money. The church collectively. We have to have a bigger vision than the one that we have. We have to have a global vision than the one that we have. And we have to position ourselves to glean the resources, not just to serve our churches, but to serve our communities and ultimately the world. This has to be examined. We're out of position, and I know it. And I know it. (laughs) I've been lighting up Tom's phone like never before. (laughs) Have I not been? I'm like, Tom, we get this stuff going, man. This isn't happening. We've got the stream running. It's a little ad hoc. We're going to make it better. It's going to get way improved. In the next three months, we're going to get it way improved. It's going to be real improved. This place is going to be a media center. This church will be media-centered. It will not be just an assembly. It will be a media center. Every single thing we do from this point forward, God help me, is going to be media-centered. Every single thing we do. Everything. What's it going to take? Well, it's going to take a lot. We're going to believe God. We're out of position. It's clear. We need to get into position. We have all other, other structural changes. But that's not, to, to, to expose weakness is not a bad thing, guys. It's not a bad thing. To have the weakness exposed is not a bad thing. It means you need to evaluate that and make changes. It exposes weakness in our government. Weakness in our systems. Our medical response infrastructure. It is showing that we have tremendous weakness in our medical response infrastructure. Why? The trial is exposing that. America has a medical response infrastructure that dates to the 50s. Now, in 1950, that infrastructure might have worked well, but it doesn't work well. And it's clear this, this crisis presents itself into our current infrastructure, and our infrastructure collapses. It's not the virus. It's the inability of the infrastructure to respond, and I hope you get that. The problem is not this virus. Viruses have been with us for, since the beginning of time or the fall of man. The problem is not the virus. The problem is the overwhelming, uh, the, the, the medical infrastructure that cannot respond adequately. And our weakness on that front is exposed. So it presents us with an opportunity to change that. It presents us with an opportunity to create strategies, responses, best practices for future events. Clearly what we're doing right now isn't working. Clearly. Those of you in the medical field are going to shout me down. Like, Amen to that. Clearly what we're doing right now is not working. So this provides us with an opportunity to not keep doing the same thing. It provides us with an opportunity to examine this and go, we have a problem here and we need to address this because crises are going to come again. There's been 30 and 20 years. Birth pain, sorrow, travail. Bible predicts it. Travails of nations, perplexities of nations, problems presented to nations that they cannot solve. That's a sign of the end times in case you're wondering. Perplexity among the nations. The inability of nations to solve problems. It's not going away. So in our government, this presides us with an opportunity to respond to this. And the wise will. That's why we pray for our government. One of the things we need to intercede for our government is that we would respond to this correctly. That we would pray correctly. That we would upgrade our infrastructure. That we would upgrade our medical response capabilities. That we would upgrade our strategies, our policies, our best practices as it relates to these things. Because it's not going away. If we do that, the next time a calamity comes, America will be the shining beacon of the world. Because we'll have an infrastructure that can handle it. We'll just handle it like everything else. 
because we're prepared. Call in prayer. I'm almost done. Call to prayer reveals to us the weakness of prayer within our churches or our ineffectualness of prayer. Our prayers are not effectual. We have to examine the way that we're praying. If our prayers are not affecting heaven, there's a reason. It's not because God's not listening. It's because we ask amiss, James tells us. We're praying the wrong way. That's the last thing we want to do is actually look at the way we pray, the way we've prayed for the last 20 years, Pastor. I was talking to Hank. You guys know Hank? Uh, Hank's up in Michigan. He's working at a nuclear plant up there. And I was talking to him yesterday. And um, he said the policies and the procedures of this place he's working at are archaic. And he said, I asked him, he said, why are you doing it? This is a nuclear power plant. And just so you know, the church is essentially in charge of a nuclear power plant. We've been given the power in the earth. And he said, the people that are there don't know what they're doing. And he says, why are you doing it this way? And the guy looked at him and said, Hank, we've been doing it that way for 20 years. Well, it's not working, dude. You know, at what point do we examine the fact that what we're doing isn't working? We put it off on God. Well, God just doesn't hear us. And No, you're not praying the right way. We need to adjust. We need to find the way that we pray. And we need to pray in an effectual manner. That's an art form, in case you're wondering. That's something that's developed in relationship. Married couples will understand this, particularly men. Your wife is an art form. Relating to that woman is a work of art. I mean, man, you gotta, you got to learn your palate, you know. <laughs> you got to learn how to fill the canvas. <laughs> because it's done in relationship. Same thing with the Lord. It's done in relationship. We discover things in relationship. We don't discover things by presuming. The biggest sin is presumption. We presume upon the Lord. I'm going to give you the greatest key of my life. I have a few. Would cost me blood, I give it to you for free. You know nothing. You heard me say it before. You want a key to power? You know nothing. Do not presume. Do not think. Nothing. Take everything you know and set it aside. If Jesus wants to use it, he'll call for it. It's not that that knowledge isn't good. It's just that it doesn't apply oftentimes the way you think it does. So what we need to do is we need to learn our knowledge, give Jesus some supplies to work for, then take our knowledge and set it over here, and then present ourselves before the Lord, equipped with knowledge, but humble in spirit, and say, Lord, what do you say? I know nothing. Jesus, you're the only good idea I have. My, my, my bread is to do your will. Isn't that what he modeled for us? Disciples go and get happy meals. Jesus is serving He said, I have bread to eat that you know not of. His bread was to do the will of his father. You understand that? Not what we think, what we know. Knowledge is wonderful. I'm all in. Know your Bible, all that stuff, but set it over here. Your theology almost oftentimes won't match up to your experience. We We have to experience and then the theology will come. Oftentimes our theology is what limits the experience. Just saying. Call the intercession. The land will heal when God's people pray. When they seek me, turn from their selfishness. Then I will hear, and then I'll hear the land. The land's not getting healed unless we pray. We have to pray. We have to pray effectually. Same, same idea here as in Joel chapter 2. Identity, humility, repentance through intercession. If my people, there's identity. Identity. First thing is, my people. Do you believe you're my people? 
That's right. That's what he's asking. Take your rightful place in identity. It always begins with identity. Always. Identity. Humble yourself. In other words, take a posture. Humbleness, what does humbleness mean? I'm humble. No, you're not humiliated. Humbleness means humiliation. The root of humiliation is humble. Well, I don't want to pray in tongues in public, in a prayer gathering. I don't want to pray in tongues in a prayer gathering. We have a prayer meeting here on Saturdays, first of the month. We pray in tongues. Not the whole time, but we started off praying in tongues. Yeah, we, t- we speak in tongues. Yes, we do. Spirit-filled believers speaking in tongues. We believe it. That's the furnace, man, that needs to be relit. The, the church has allowed the kiln to go cold. The forge has gone cold. The forge of our fire, the forge of our passion, the forge, of the, the forge that forms the metal that God is calling for grows cold. Oh, but we got smoke machines, pastor. We have no power, friend. Just saying. <laughs> I don't want to pray in tongues. Sherry walks up, hands me the thing, goes, pray in tongues. That's how we start. I'm like, pray in tongues? Like right now? Pray in tongues? She's like, yeah, go for it. Humiliation. Humble yourself and pray. Does it feel humiliating? Yes, it does. For a moment. Because I've not done this publicly, so I feel exposed. So now I'm doing it. But I'm humi- you might, prayer requires humiliation. I don't know if you're aware of that. Don't say you're humble if you've never been humiliated before the Lord. David danced in his underwear. Oh, how undignified, his wife said. David said it was before the Lord. If you think that's undignified, watch this. I can be even more undignified if God calls for it. Price of revival is dignity. The price of the awakening of God's spirit in our land is Dignity. Dignity. We're too dignified. We're a dignified church. Spirit-filled churches won't speak in tongues anymore. Spirit-filled churches will not pray for the sick anymore. Spirit-filled churches will not prophesy anymore. What is wrong with us? Well, it's not dignified. Then rebrand it. Rebrand it. We don't have to do it old-timey. Rebrand the prophetic. Rebrand the healing. Rebrand tongues. Rebrand it. We kill it. (laughs) Just saying. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with crying out, with lament and repentance. Here you have the same thing. He's going to go with humility. Turn to me. Repent. Lament with all of your heart. Rend your heart and not your garments. In other words, let it matter to you. Return to the Lord, for he is good. And he will show kindness. Then he says, there's the identity. Say, where's identity? Here it comes. Let the priests who minister. Are you priests? Uh, if you've been here any length of time, you're going to understand you're a kingdom of priests. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are the priesthood of God upon the earth. Let the priests who minister to the Lord, let them cry out between the porch and the altar. This is an interesting statement. This in the biblical times would be considered the porch, the place of public gathering. The altar would be the place of access. Let them come forth from the congregation and stand before the place of access. Too many Christians do not come from the porch. They do not take their rightful place. We could do it as a group, but we can do it individually. It doesn't matter. But nonetheless, we need to come forth from the porch. We're all sitting on the porch, you know, drinking country time, lemonade, watching the world go by. The Bible says, come forth from the porch, Christian. They met in Solomon's porch and they met in homes. The porch represented the public off the public gathering. And God is saying, come out of the porch, stop, come out of the chair, assume your rightful place, priest who ministers before me. He says it right now. You're a priest who ministers before me. 
You look in the mirror and go, Connie, you're a priest who ministers before me. He says that, and Connie could look in the mirror and go, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't look anything like that. I mean, I kind of feel like I am, but I, I don't think I look. It doesn't matter what you look like, and it doesn't matter what you feel. He tells you what you are. He calls you who you are long before you get there. Son, look in the mirror and go, I, I don't look anything like a son of the highest. You say that word, I'm a son of the highest, and you look in the mirror and go, really? Am I? Am I a son of the highest? I'm not too sure. You are. Jesus calls you who and what you are long before you get there. That's who he is. Our job is to partner with that and move and spend our lives moving into it. So God summons his people. So let the priest and minister. That's you. Come out of the porch. You're welcome to come. We're doing intercessory prayer for our nation on Wednesday. We haven't set the time yet. I'm sure, it'll go out in the email. Doesn't matter. I'm coming. I'll be here. This preach will come forth. This priest will come forth from the porch. And will stand before the altar of his access and come before the throne of his father and I will intercede. I'm doing it. Why am I doing it? Because it's a good idea. I felt like the Lord was dealing with me on it. Is it inconvenient? It's inconvenient for me. I got a lot going on. My life doesn't stop. It's like just nonstop. But I feel like, okay, I need to, I need to slow this down a little bit and I need to do what I feel like he's putting on my heart. God puts stuff on your heart and he just touches your heart, guys. He doesn't overpower you. He's in the still small voice, not in the fire, not in the hurricane, not in the, you know, God speaks to the still small voice. So he just puts it on your heart. Kevin, come before prayer. We should do prayer. And I'm like, when? He's like, pick a day. That's how I felt. I'm like, Wednesday? He's like, Wednesday's fine for me. <laughs> Tomorrow, can't do it. You know, you're wheeling me in a wheelbarrow after, you know, on some Mondays. It's like, but nonetheless, know that you're a love. Christian, we're lights in the darkness. We're cities on a hill. We're salt of the earth. We have access to a world beyond this one. We have power from a world beyond this one. Peace from a world beyond this one. Strength from a world. Draw from your inheritance. Draw from the resources. In the spirit, let the strength of God come to you. In the spirit, let the wisdom of God come to you. In the spirit, let the revelation of God come to you for this hour. He'll give it to you. Not in the earth, in the spirit. Go into the spirit. In the spirit. (laughs) It's awesome. Here's some things we're not going to do. We're not going to fear. It's not going to happen. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. We do not, this is all, this, all these verses are on not, we do not have a spirit of fear. If there's fear, Jesus isn't there because his spirit is not in fear. We will walk by faith and not by sight. We will not be moved by the circumstances around you. Though a thousand fall by my side and ten thousand by my right hand, I will not be moved. It will not come upon me. The arrow that flies by night, the terror that walks in the noonday, or the, or the pestilence will not come near you. Because you say the Lord is my God. Because you say the Lord is my refuge, I will deliver you. Psalm 91. Who told you? I, we, we, I just declare coronavirus is not on our state. It's not on our nation. It's going to just go its way. It's going to be gone and lift from our land. And not just that, the agendas, the deception, the lies, and everything that's accompanying this is going to go with it. Because there's a whole lot of that. And everybody wants to bury that in this idea of the virus. The virus is real. We have viruses all the time. I'm not saying this isn't a, this isn't a real thing. But there's a lot of stuff going on. The world will never see it. We are wise people. We're sons and daughters of Issachar. 
They were discerners of the times. That's what the Bible says. There was a group of people among God's people. They were called sons of Issachar. They discerned the times and the seasons that they were in. They were aware. The Bible uses another word called circumspect. Be aware, and it's the word circumspect. In other words, don't be deceived by what's going on around you. See things for what they are. It's not the popular opinion, but nonetheless, we have that ability. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to a same salvation. Set your minds on things above, not the earthly things. Not what social media is saying. My son's on Instagram. And he's, he's coming to me. I'm, I don't want to call the boy a hypochondriac, but he sometimes makes me feel like he's a hypochondriac. I could tell you funny stories. It's like, Dad, I really need some vitamin C. Got to fortify my body. Got to protect myself. I need you to get some emergency. I said, read me the ingredients of emergency. And there's all these phosphates in it. And Sherry said, there's a, there's a stuff that you can get. And so I called a, we have like a little farmer's market, organic market. And anybody heard of camu camu powder? Camu camu? Anybody heard of that? Right? Right? 60 times the vitamin C in five grams as in one lemon. 60 times. Hmm? We, need to, we need to manufacture it. No, Jesus has already provided it. 1,800, whatever, whatever uh, so 1,000 milligrams of emergency in the same amount of this powder is 1,800 of this of, uh, vitamin C, the equivalent. What ICUs, right? I don't know what the, how they measure it, whatever. I, not, my, not my field. Uh, Paul's going to correct me. Actually, the correct term, scientific term, Kevin, is... <laughs> so if you want to know how they measure it, see Paul. You just go see him. He'll let you know. <laughs> but God has provided for us. He's provided for us. So he's telling me to go and get this emergency. Now, it doesn't taste good, but it's necessary. It just tastes like powder. It just tastes like you're drinking powder. It doesn't have the sugar rush of emergency or the orange tang <laughs> of emergency. I will leave you to this. I want to say this point because I think it's very important for us as a body. I think it's important for the church alone. Just give me a couple minutes and I'm going to finish. I only have one verse. I think for some of us, this needs to expose the weakness of our bodies. We commit suicide with a knife and a fork. Our bodies are not set up. Just like this virus exposes weaknesses, we need to change our dietary habits. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit, aren't we? That's what we're supposed to be. Some people, we're coming into seasons of our lives. I'm one of them. My children are grown, and I'm coming into the most effective season my life has ever known. I don't have children anymore. I don't have that, that massive, come on, I don't have that massive responsibility. Nothing wrong with raising children. I've raised children. I felt like I didn't even know who I was when my kids are grown. I'm like, where have I been for 25 years, Lord? And he goes, you've been raising kids, Kevin. Because I feel like I've, I'm like I've been lost. I'm thinking I, I, I haven't accomplished anything. And in the Lord, I felt like he threw me the keys to a Ferrari. I'm in sports car mode now, man. I can move fast. I can move lean because I don't have the responsibility of caring for children. Again, nothing wrong with caring for children. But examining that and saying, do I want to go another 30 years? If the Lord is calling me, yes. Is my body equipped to go another 30 years? Or will I compromise my body that will make me vulnerable to a virus that comes around? Will I put my body in a position where I'm have my, my, my kidneys are threatened? Will I put myself in a position where my, my di- my, um, I'm diabetic now because of the way that I eat? Will I put myself in a position because my liver now is so diluted and so surrounded and so toxic that it can't filter? Will I put myself in that position? 
Or will I take a moment in time and actually address it? But I don't like kale, Pastor. I don't like kale. I drink kale. Sherry puts it in a juice. She's like a baby. My grandma used to cut up sandwiches. Sherry's got to put apple juice in the kale juice or whatever. She, she makes me some cocktail. I drink juice every day now. I have juice in the... I, I'm going to be here all night or up for a while, but I have, juice in the, I have juice in the refrigerator. Big jar of juice. If you see big jar of juice in there, that's mine. <laughs> she gives it to me, sets it on the counter, and then stands over me until I drink it. Or she'll come back four times and go, did you drink your juice? Did you drink your juice? Nothing worse than waking up in the morning. I saw your juice on the counter and you didn't drink it. I need you to drink it right now. <laughs> we have to change our habits. It doesn't taste good. My son doesn't like the vitamin C and the Kemu Kemu. It doesn't, it doesn't taste sugar. We've got to address this. People don't want to change. You have to change. Or you just have to accept the inevitable. What, what has it produced thus far? Christians that are on the edge of being diabetic, they're on the edge of renal failure, they're on the edge of all these different things. And the majority of it isn't because their body's breaking down, it's because they're causing their body to break down. You have to, we have to come upon a track that transforms us, not because we just need to be a bunch of health nuts, but because you want to go 30 years. You know, and we want to go another 20. We want to go another 30. We're not, I'm not, don't wheel me out to pasture. I'm ready to go, man. I'm like, forget that. Time to, time to get, take care of this thing, man. Time to snap this thing in shape. Going back to my 20s. Hey, look at me, huh? Ooh, yeah. If it takes me two years to do it, so what? I'm on the right track. Moving in that direction, modifying your diet, modifying your intake, educating yourself, learning about things that help your body. This, this virus exposes the weakness in our society. We have people in our society that are more vulnerable to it. Some people can't help it. I get it. I get it. But some people can. And some people have compromised themselves. The people that, you know, I don't know if you know this, but the kids, the young people that are having the hardest time with this are kids that are vaping. They either smoke or they vape. Now, why would they have a hard time with a virus if they smoke or they vape? Because they're compromising their respiratory system. Well, it's only water vapor. Yeah, I keep believing that. Yeah, it's only water vapor. Yeah, no, it's not. There's crystals that are formed in the throat and all kinds of crazy stuff. It's nonsense. So where, why is that happening? They put themselves in a position and they compromise themselves and make themselves vulnerable to something that they sh- otherwise shouldn't be vulnerable to. So without reeking like I'm not sensitive, I am sensitive I understand there's a people, you're not sensitive. Oh my gosh. Two weeks of been battling people and, you know, like talking about sensitivity. I, I am sensitive. If the doctor looks at you like he did my wife's uncle and looked at my wife's uncle and he looks at him and he says, I just have to be blunt with you. If you do not lose weight, you will be dead in five years. That's what he told him. What did he do? He lost weight. But did, did, did her uncle get up and go, I can't believe how insensitive you are. That's so insensitive. You hurt my feelings. No, he told you the truth. Speaking the truth in love, Christian, it's not an issue of anything. It's just a matter of love. So we need to address that. This needs to be a plan. We want to do some things here. We got some stuff planned. So look for that in the future. Last word, and we're going to pray. We have this treasure in jars, in, in jars of clay, the surpassing power that comes from God, and it doesn't come from us. What does this power look like? So the power is in us. We're a bunch of broken pots, a broken bunch of cracked pots. And Jesus puts his light inside the cracked pot. So get over yourself. We're all cracked pots. 
We're earthen vessels, jars of clay with a light inside of us that shines through our crack, our weaknesses, and our, our cracks, our weaknesses, and all of the things. And what does this power do? I'll tell you what the power does. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Why? Because the power is in the earthen vessel. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Why? Because we have the power in the earthen vessel. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. Why? Because of the power in the earthen vessel. Struck down, but not destroyed. Why? Because of the power in the earthen vessel. And if you get this, this is, we need to look to the power of the Holy Spirit. These things manifest or are made known to us through the Spirit of God. We're not going to be cast down. Who told you that? I'm, how do you stand in these moments? Because I have the power of the Holy Spirit. How can you see clearly in these moments? Because I have the power of the Holy Spirit. We love you. We bless you. I've been told to instruct our viewing audience. Some of you are online and you're watching us and you're part of our church and you want to know how you give when you're not here. So I just want to tell you, elevatemiamichurch.com and the donate button is there. It's pretty basic, it's pretty simple, walk you through all the steps. And uh, we want to encourage those who are not here, are not with us. And I want to tell you that uh, we love you, we bless you, we honor you, we respect any decisions that you make. And uh, we just want to bless them with that. And I just also want to just close with this. And more than likely, there are people watching us, highly likely, that don't know Jesus or will watch this video and don't know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus and your heart does not belong to him, coronavirus is the least of your problems. And the reason, because one out of every one person dies. None of us are getting out of here alive. <laughs> it's true. Jesus came to break the power of the fear of death over mankind. All of our lives, we were the slave, we were the, under the fear of death. Christians have an entirely different perspective of death. We should have. Death is not an end, it's a beginning. It doesn't mean we're wishing for death. It just means we don't fear it. We're not afraid of death. Christians ran into the plague They didn't run from it. They ran into it. Read your history. Hospitals were born out of Christians running into the plague. That's where the modern hospital came from. Christians going into the plague when everybody was running from it. The believer was going into it. Serving those in need that were abandoned and lost. And they realized they were overwhelmed. And they said, we got to come up with a better system. The crisis revealed the weakness. And so they formed hospitals. Modern hospital doesn't come from governments. Modern hospital doesn't come from institutions. Modern hospital doesn't come from donors. Modern hospitals come from believers who saw the crisis, adjusted the crisis. That's why your hospitals are St. Mary's and, you know, Bethesda. That's why we have hospitals that are named that way, Christian. Baptist, how, how, does the, how, does my, how do they let Miami have a, how does the government let them have the name Baptist? Because Miami didn't start that hospital Christians started that hospital. How does a government let them have the name Holy Cross? Because that hospital was not started by the government. That hospital was started by Christians. Christians. This is what we are. Agents of change in the world. But if you don't know Jesus, you're outside of his kingdom. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord... And he has risen from the dead. You'll be saved. It's a very simple process. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. People go, that's it. That's about all it takes to get married. Right? (laughs) The heart confession. The heart belief. The heart extended. And the mouth confessed. So that sounds pretty simple. But it costs someone a lot to make that, that simple. 
So if you're watching us or if you're here in this room, we're going to pray together and we want to invite you to come to know Jesus this morning. You say, I don't understand it. You don't need to understand it. We get on airplanes and we don't understand how they fly. We drive in cars and we don't understand combustion engines at all, but yet we drive them. Salvation is not an issue of understanding. It's an issue of choosing to believe. And so we're going to pray on that basis alone. Let's pray. And say, Jesus, you are the Savior. And I need a Savior. I don't understand it, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. Let me bless you one more. Oh, yeah, come on. We can clap. Let me bless you one more time. One more time. Receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. May the Lord give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. And that's enough. Have a great week. If you need prayer, we'll have a prayer team available for you.